Before we dive in to this episode, I have to tell you what is up on Patreon because I have made so many changes. I put so much into it this summer and there's so much to be had over on Patreon. So first off, you can become a member for just $5 a month or we also have a pay what you can option at $1 a month because you know, stuff is crazy out there, you guys. I get it. And here's what you get when you sign up on Patreon. One bonus episode every month, an extra episode of a book that is only for Patreon subscribers. We have also started running ads on this podcast. I held out for a long time, but finally I caved. And now that we have ads, if you don't want ads anymore, all the episodes on Patreon will go to your podcast feed without ads if you just sign up for Patreon. So all episodes from here going forward, ad free. We also have access to something called a lounge. They gave us early exclusive access. It's been awesome. So basically become a member of the Patreon. We have a cookies only chat where all cookies can talk to each other. It's like a real digital book club where you can talk about books, the episodes. We talked about the Barbie movie, like so much conversation is going on there. That is where all my focus is going as well. That is where all the conversation is happening. You also get, oh my God, there's more. You also get an email of photos that go with the episode and you get emailed that every time an episode comes up. So everything we talked about in the episode, a photo of it will be sent to you as well as the reading list for the month if you want to read along. If you love this podcast, if you want to support this podcast, join the Patreon. It's so much fun. There's so much fun to be had over there. And also we are fully independent. We run fully by your Patreon support. So consider supporting us over there for just $5 a month um, and a pay what you can option at $1. And it's linked in the show notes. It is www.patreon.com slash Chelsea Devantes. If you just want to type it in, uh, it takes two seconds. We send you a podcast feed. You get all of the bonus ad-free stuff. So easy. And um, I'll see you over there in the lounge if you join the Patreon. Hello, welcome to a new thing I'm going to try called Glamorous Trash Talk, where I take a little tangent from the normal podcast and put out a short episode to discuss something besides books, besides memoirs, that I also consider glamorous trash. Now, glamorous trash just really encapsulates who I am, where I come from, my tastes. You've heard me talk about it on the podcast. Glamorous Trash is going to the library and reading an Us Weekly magazine. It's sneaking a flask into the Oscars. It's a podcast about female celebrity memoirs where you talk about all the hot goss and the structural misogyny that leads to women's stories being considered trash in the first place. (laughs) It's glamorous trash. So let's take a tangent. This is gonna be a short episode. It's gonna be like 15 to 20 minutes. I'm going to tell you all my hot takes on this season of The Bachelor with Zach and what The Bachelor franchise says about the state of American politics. Yes, (laughs) I'm serious. That's what I'm going to talk about. This episode encapsulates the side of me that worked in late night comedy news for years and was Jon Stewart's head writer last year. The part of me that is like super deep into all of that stuff, as well as the part of me that never misses an episode of this absolutely garbage shit show. That's the glamorous trash of it all. We are going high and low in this episode, glam and trash. Now, if you are looking for a book recap episode, just skip this. Don't listen. Okay. This one's not for you. If you're looking for a book, nothing is changing about the podcast. Your next memoir episode is coming Friday. It's Paris Hilton's 
It's on the way. I'm so excited about it. But right now, let's do some glamorous trash talk. Okay, let's begin with a hot take. A hot take off the bat. So I'm talking about Zach's season on The Bachelor. I'm also going to be talking about politics in this episode. Yes, that's right. But first hot take is Zach. They tried to start the nickname for him, Zach the Snack. And they had all the girls come on and chant like, Zach the Snack, Zach, Zach the Snack. And they're like, oh my God, he's a snack. And I'm here to say, I agree. Zach is a snack. He is the seven almonds that you eat to stave off hunger before dinner. We're just like counting them out and you're like, I'll just eat this so that, you know, I don't spoil the real meal. He's the half of a protein bar that you stuffed in your pocket and it's old and crusty, but like you're starving and you're commuting and you're like, I guess I'll eat this half a protein bar. This man is a snack because he is definitely not an entree. Okay. First hot takeover. Okay, so I have said this on the podcast before, I believe. I've definitely said it on other podcasts, but I firmly believe that The Bachelor is a cultural clock on America telling us what time it is. If you know what's going on in The Bachelor, you will know America, okay? With this theory of mine, this is no joke. I have correctly predicted two elections. I'm serious. You can hear me do it on the Daily Zeitgeist podcast archives. I predicted Biden. I also predicted a blue sweep in the Senate. Am I the new Nate Silver? Yeah. Or no, maybe no. He's bad. If you don't know who Nate Silver is, good. Don't look him up. He did election watch statistics uh, pretty poorly and made liberals believe that Hillary was going to (laughs) win in 2016. Okay, so let me tell you what's behind my theory. Of, of how it's a cultural cult, cultural clock on America. In the 2016 election, it became very popular to say that liberals and cities lived in a bubble and didn't know what was going on in the rest of America. But the truth is that everybody's in a bubble, whatever community that is, okay? Me in LA, I have an opinion on, on which oat milk brand is better than other oat milks, okay? Now that's a goddamn bubble, okay? And When I change locations, uh, my bubble changes, my community changes. When I lived in the city of New York, I was talking about different things two years ago than when I lived in the woods in New York, which was this past winter. And all my husband and I talked about, and we talked about with our neighbors, was the cost of wood pellets. And like, we were just trying to figure it out um, because they were like what we were using to like heat up the house. Okay, so whatever is informing your community creates your little bubble. And so- I mean, even on TikTok, the bubbles on TikTok, amazing. Mormon TikTok mom scandals, that's a bubble, a delightful one. Highly recommend. So uh, the idea that like you lived in a bubble is popping up. Coastal cities were where a lot of reporters writing articles in 2016 were based. It's, It's where the news media is for the most part. And because of this accusation that that liberals lived in a bubble, they then began focusing on niche rural communities that were voting Trump to prove that they weren't biased liberal reporters. And in doing so, they ended up writing a lot of, in my opinion, poverty porn. And they also got the story wrong of these communities that that had a lot to say because the whole thing was just approached terribly. And the accusation that liberals didn't understand conservatives gave us unfortunate books like Hillbilly Elegy, which is a book about one white dude 
putting in a lot of hard work to escape poverty without acknowledging systemic oppression in general. Just kind of being like my anecdote proves that it can be done without acknowledging all the other oppressions that exist. His story is valid. Those stories are valid, but they're also from their own bubbles where his story was possible and they don't speak for society. So in reality, the news coverage tried, but no one knew what the hell was going on in America and how people would vote. Now, something you might not know about election polls is that those are largely done over the phone on landlines. Yes, even now. So now you need to think about who has a landline and is picking up the phone. And those are the people who are creating a lot of these polling statistics. In 2019, just over 31% of people still had landlines. And that's a certain group of people really pulling in those stats because, I mean, cell phones have largely replaced landlines. I mean, two phone lines in this economy? No, you just need a cell phone. So that's, that's factoring into this. Now, also think about this. Regardless, landline, cell phone aside, these people are answering their phones from a number they don't know. It's a strange, it's like they have the polling place saved. It's a strange number. I would never, ever answer a phone call from a number I didn't know. Like for me to pick up the phone of a, of a completely random number, it would have to be like a 505 area code at midnight. And, and I'm thinking like my brother's in jail. Or I would have had to have like ordered delivery and I watched the little car get lost on the app. And I was like, oh, I really, you know, I really want this pizza. And driven by pizza, I would maybe pick up the phone being like the delivery driver is lost. (laughs) Okay, now let me ask you, do we trust people who answer the phone of an unknown number? I don't know. Those people are living on the edge. They're fearless. They're monsters. Who are they? They are our polling statistics. So to me, polling is not a trustworthy way to know what is going on in America. But you know what is? <laughs> the Bachelor. At least for now, the franchise is probably dying. This may be its final few years to tell us what's going on, but I really need them to get it together. I need them to continue. I first came up with this theory of mine that it was a cultural clock when I watched Caitlin Bristow's season in 2015. But to explain that, let's go back further to 2010. In the 2010s, I was living in Chicago. I fully believed we were in a female empowerment renaissance. I experienced it in my comedy with my friends everywhere. You know, the context at the time in the comedy world, we were exalting Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. The show Girls had come out on HBO, which featured Lena Dunham, you know, who had a body that wasn't the norm and she was naked and and the show had a lot of buzz. Female comedians were leading movies and hosting our award shows. And in my little bubble, I had this idea that the tides had changed. You know, around me, they were allowing more than one woman on an improv team. And I was like, wow, we've made it. By 2013, I thought we had won the war. It was a new dawn where women could show cleavage and be your boss. But alas, no, (laughs) no, they said those boobs are not girl boss ready. America as a whole, not specific people, but as a majority, America has always been behind where I think it is, which is why I need my bachelor clock because it was not until 2015 when Caitlin Bristow's season talked about slut shaming. And it was a huge theme on the show. And that year is when America actually began 
keyword began, to open its mind up to sexism and value a conversation around it. Value another keyword, which by the way, real quick reminder, 2015, that was eight years ago, okay? Eight years ago, we began to talk about sexism on Bachelor episodes. And you know what we did after that? We immediately began printing the futurist female (laughs) t-shirts, probably because our present was fucked. You know, it's like, oh, maybe the future is female because right now, very bad. And obviously, yes, I owned one. Now, in 2015, on Caitlyn's season, everyone called her a slut for sleeping with Nick, which meant her, the lead of the show, was losing value for American viewers. And leads are supposed to be seen as America's prom king and queen on The Bachelor. So Caitlyn's After the Final Rose became an after-school special on women having sexual needs as well. And not only do women like sex, but maybe you shouldn't yell at them about it and maybe, I don't know, thank them for their service of servicing themselves. Okay, so that was the real clock. It wasn't when I thought female empowerment swept the nation in the 2010s. It was 2015. Because following that in 2016, we then get shows like Fleabag and Insecure. And yes, we can say girls opened up a conversation about women showing real bodies and having sex. But the conversation in the press was about how it was like shaming her looks. It was it was crazy that it was happening. It, America wasn't ready. Meanwhile, 2016, Fleabag and Insecure come out. And people were ready and it was celebrated. Now you could argue that's because of many things. And I'm arguing it's because The Bachelor (laughs) told us that America was finally ready for sexual leading women. So then following that, it is not until 2017 till we see the relaunch of the hashtag MeToo sweep the country. Then it's not until 2019 when we see the effects of that movement take hold in all of America as contestants like Kaylin Miller open up about her assault on the show, never something that would have happened before with a leading contestant. And and so this was another change where where we really saw, uh, really saw that culturally, like we were in a new place to hear women's stories. Now, here's where we're at with women in 2023. On Zach's season, we had a contestant named Brooklyn who was a domestic violence survivor. And not only that, but Brooklyn could put up a fight in the house. She had quotes that were like, have you ever considered literally shutting the fuck up? I mean, incredible. And the beauty of this is that we allowed, we as, you know, Bachelor, America, whatever, allowed a quote unquote imperfect woman to be a credible witness to her own assault and trauma. I truly feel like this is a massive shift and a massive win for all the work we've been doing. I know we've had a lot of losses lately, but I'm telling you, The Bachelor is letting us know that we're in a new place with how we view women, that we can love and be complicated women, that you can you can attest your own assault and abuse and, and not have to live up to this like unrealistic standard just to be a credible witness. If you're listening to this podcast, you have already been someone who understands and knows all that. And now I'm telling you that America, the rest of America is finally starting to accept it. So perhaps you can tell from this podcast, but I'm a very uh, anxious person. I, I operate on a high frequency and going to sleep is hard for me. It's hard to fall asleep. It's hard to stay asleep. And so the other night I got Next Evo in the mail, which is a CBD company. And I ate one of their strawberry flavored CBD gummies that was for sleep. And in the middle of the night, I had one of my normal wake ups and I thought to myself, "Ooh, I'm like, I feel so nice. I'm just going to go right back to bed. And as I was falling asleep, I had the thought of like, wow, I'm, I'm going back to sleep. 
And in the morning, I had forgotten I ate the gummy. And I was like, "How? Do, why did I sleep so well? And then I remembered it. So the next night, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this again. Let's see if magic sleep happens. And lo and behold, I slept wonderfully. So I am so excited to talk about Next Evo Naturals because they have developed a clinically tested water-soluble form of CBD. And their gummies and capsules are proven to work faster and absorb four times better than oil-based products. I am assuming this is the fancy schmancy science that made this work because I have totally taken oil <laughs> droplets of CBD before, like during quarantine. Yes, sir, my husband, he was just, we were just dropping CBD into each other's mouths and you know, it didn't do much. So this is thrilling that I felt this way. I hope you could feel this way too. They also have their strongest gummy ever, the new extra strength daily wellness CBD gummies. They also have CBD lotion and you know, you know, I mean, instantly on my skin. Just anything that can help me relax, I'm so into it. Next Evo is the only brand that has conducted human clinical studies to test the value of their products, and their label contents are 100% guaranteed, so what you see is what you get. Leave oil behind and start the year with more effective and fast-acting CBD from Next Evo Naturals. Get 25% off using code GLAMOROUS at nextevo.com. That's 25% off at nextevo.com, N-E-X, T-E-V-O.com with promo code Glamorous. When you think of the messiest celebrity feuds of all time, who comes to mind? Is it Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun? Maybe it's Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, or just about anyone from any reality TV franchise. Dis and Tell is a podcast from Wondery, hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each hilarious episode will take you through one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds and serve you a little dose of chaos every week. They recently covered the story of one of the greatest feuds you've probably never heard about, Prince and Michael Jackson. Even though this feud never really played out in the press, there's still plenty of drama and a lot to unpack. And the explosive and dramatic fallout between Candy Burris and Phaedra Parks of the Real Housewives of Atlanta. They went from TV besties to sworn mortal enemies and their relationship ended with a criminal allegation that rocked Bravo and its fandom for years to come. So if you're ready to gossip and add some more chaos to your life, follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Disintel early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. I think The Bachelor can tell us what's going on is because the show's whole premise was created for our lizard brains. Like it, it was scratching that disgusting caveman itch of like mandate many women give rose like in order. Like it was this disgusting concept that everyone bought into. It also has a cross-generational audience and a huge one. This show came about in the cable years, you know, when cable ruled and it's still on. It has, um, it has people of all ages. It's got the landlines and the cell phones. Like it's really speaking to this large audience and it always is trying to cater to them and let you know what, what the audiences are ready for. Now, after the great racial reckoning that took place on two velvet couches, (laughs) with rose graphics splashing across the screen. Chris Harrison was fired and the Bachelor franchise was so freaked out, they restored to factory settings. They were like, reboot the whole thing, turn the computer off, try again, shut it down. I mean, they literally like had a meltdown and then brought us three completely identical, fucking boring as hell men. Jesse Palmer as the host, uh, the Bachelor... 
Oh my God, I want to say Craig. I know it's not Craig. Mike? No, God. Oh, Clayton, Clayton. Okay. And now, Zach. Zach, who was so boring, the only quality they could share about him on, a, on the first episode was that he once DJed a party in college. <laughs> These men, the hosts and the past two bachelors, have made giving nothing an art form. I mean, to take up that much screen time and give absolutely nothing, I applaud the skill set. I'm in awe of it. It's, it's, it's an art form I didn't know you could master. Now, here's where I get into this season. And what's teeny tiny good about Zach, I know, I know, but bear with me. One, he legit wanted to get married. You could feel it. This dude was... He had such a hard on for marriage, and that is usually what makes the show special. The Bachelor, you really have to buy into like, oh my God, they're going to get married and be in love. It's the prom king and queen of television. You know, they have to believe that fantasy so that we, the audience, believe that fantasy and buy into the show. Uh, A lot of that's gone away in recent seasons, and he kind of brought that back. Another tangent to say, love is blind is is incredible at that. Love is Blind on Netflix. People really buy into, the people on it really buy into being in love because they get into a psychosis. I mean, like nothing like forcing a bunch of sevens from Nashville to talk to each other through a wall to create a psychosis that makes them think they're in love. It's incredible television. I wish I could do a whole other episode just talking about (laughs) Love is Blind season four. But we're talking about The Bachelor. Okay, so another kind of amazing thing about Zach is that He eliminated the drama. (laughs) Any exciting woman there to fuck shit up, sent her home. Any gal just remotely headed towards conflict, sent her home. This is why it's the most boring season of all time on top of him just being the worst. He also brought back some Bachelor classics, you know, like keeping the one woman of color in your final four and who you never intended to marry and then immediately sending her home. Thankfully, The Bachelor just made charity, the next bachelorette, which we'll discuss in a second. Okay. Now let's, let's get to the finale, which I literally just watched. Zach, <laughs> Zach fucked up this season of the bachelor so badly. They needed so much wandering footage of the contestants. Do you know what I mean? Like they had to get those girls like staring out into the waves and like writing in journals and just just staring into the abyss and Zach just kind of wandering around. They needed like 20 minutes of it to, to underlay all the horrible shit he did. I am so deeply in love with Gabby. And I have to tell you, I I have been like rooting for Katie this whole time because in those little tiny clips that they show at the very end of the episodes, like in the B sides, they showed one between Katie and Gabby where Katie was so funny. She was genuinely offering up like some good little bits, like some comedic premises. And Gabby was just kind of repeating them back to her. And then I started to notice that I, I think The Bachelor was cutting around how how funny Katie is. And, and sometimes it wasn't funny. It was just like weird, but like she cracks little like quips here and there. And I was like, oh my God, is the winner actually gonna be kind of a funny woman? Then... In the last episode, when it was just her, you know, he had eliminated Ariel, who's incredible. He had eliminated Ariel. 
who gave an absolute masterclass in open relationships on the finale. I mean, seriously, she, she discussed the rules of an open relationship and called The Bachelor what it was and agree, an agreed upon open relationship and the rules of how to be in an open relationship on this season of The Bachelor. We're in a new place, you guys. Anyways, after she had left, Katie turns to Gabby and says something like, oh, I know like, like you were the only one intimate with him or something like that. And Gabby says, I feel like I have like a scarlet letter on me. And all Katie said back was, oh my God, stop. No. And looked away. And I said, oh no, she's not actually like a good friend. She doesn't actually have Gabby's back the way Gabby had Katie's back when the the vehicle stepped in mud and or the vehicle like stopped in a muddy place. And she said, don't fuck that up. And she, she was stern about it. She was like, don't fuck that up when Katie arrives, when this proposal actually matters. Gabby told Zach that she knew that he knew. She was like, you knew it wasn't me. You knew it wasn't me. Why did you do this? And he's like, I don't know. And then immediately on the finale, he said the exact sentence. I looked at Katie on that final date and I said, it's always been you. <laughs> and uh, do I have enough time to discuss how both Zach and... I almost said Creighton. <laughs> you know what? Why not? Zach and Creighton both set up these manipulative, shitty constructs to have sex with women only to go after and propose to the woman they didn't have sex with. It's giving, it's giving the rules. If you remember that old school dating book, it's giving Steve Harvey's rules <laughs> on how to date a man. It is so misogynistic and patriarchal, which is my overall thought on Zach, which is that, yes, he was the worst. And people were like, oh, he's boring. Uh, he was a demon pretending to be a nice guy. He was shouting from the roof. He was like, I'm a nice guy. I'm honest. I'm, oh, I couldn't even, I'm the honest, most nicest guy. And, um, nice, the, the nice guys who are, it's like, they're not nice guys, but they're a certain breed of nice guy that are, that are worse than actually bad guys. They brought us a season, but just based on pure unadulterated fear. That's the cultural clock right now. America is afraid. They're afraid to mess up. And more than that, we're tired. Oh my God, we're so tired. America is fragile right now and really scared. And honestly, can't get it up for much. This is our Biden era. Yes, Biden, Zach, same, same. We want safe dependable. We want a TV show that you put on in the background, you know, a president in the background. We're not ready for risks. It would not be a moment for another Bernie Sanders. I think there's a chance we might be building towards another Biden. And I'm, I'm very sad to say all of this. Charity being chosen as the next bachelorette is giving me so much hope. She's incredible, gorgeous. She's just a little bit basic as we want all our bachelor candidates to be. And the hope I have, both for the franchise and our country, listen, you guys, I realize I'm on a weird hill here, but we went through a lot these past three years, and now is a moment where we are all creeping out. We've been tired. We've been afraid, but we're coming back. We're attempting to return to what it was and do a little better, and charity is all the old school things about The Bachelor, you know, a little basic, sincerely here for love, and importantly, might play the game which is what The Bachelor requires. So are we there yet where we can actually try again after just years and decades, speaking both for this country and The Bachelor, of horrible racist mistakes? Are we there and ready to 
be a little better? I think this next season will tell us. Starting with, will people watch? That will be a huge indicator. The first Black Bachelorette, Rachel, had the lowest watch season of, I can't remember the statistic. I didn't know if it was like of all time or of late. Numbers overall have gone down for the show. I think if charity season does well, it could really be a shift in that cultural clock scene we're moving forward. The second thing we're looking for is, has anyone learned anything? Okay. Any, anything at all. Uh, Rachel screamed some lessons at them for the past three years. Just, uh, I not screamed, but I mean, she printed it in her book. She was loud. She was vocal. Huge shout out to her. Uh, Will they actually cast men for charity? Will they actually um, treat her with respect? Will they actually handle these issues? Well, let's find out. My prediction, I think it's, I think we're going to fail at it. I know. I hate it. I'm so sorry, but here's why. Most importantly, the show has to be able to cast a black lead and still be a good show. And for The Bachelor, that means they have to bring us mess and drama. Because when you are so afraid to not be racist that you equate anything negative happening with racism because you truly just don't even understand what racism is, then you make a bad, boring show and make everyone think that diversity ruined their favorite trash show. When actuality, when done correctly, diversity always makes things better. Again, you can see this on Love is Blind, Married at First Sight, these shows that are incredible and thriving, they don't have dwindling numbers. In closing, Zach, oof, oh God, so bad. But I got to tell you, that's the way I like it. Mama likes her, some trashy bachelor, and wow, did he deliver. I mean, just no pulse for two months. And then he like lit the whole fucking building on fire. Uh, he actually got engaged the point of the show. I'm glad he brought that back. Gabby, what a stunning, stunning portrait of vulnerability and strength. And Ariel, a gift. I, th- I think this season gave us a lot of good stuff. Now, were we ready for me to compare it to the state of American politics? I, you know, who's to say, but I did it anyway. And I just, I think we're in an okay place, but I don't think America's, we're not putting in the work yet. And I, but I have hope we're going to get there. And uh, I cannot wait for the next season. You know, on the finale tonight, Katie said, you know, Zach, I'm so in love with you. Where have you been? Where have you been? You know where Zach has been? Fucking in the queue for Dave Matthew concert tickets. Okay. He's been at a, a fifth string fraternity uh, scraping old gum off the floor. You know, he's been buying half off thick flip-flops at REI and hopefully he goes back there now. Now, listen, that was Glamorous Trash Talk. Maybe next time I'll take another tangent to discuss how TikTok could dismantle the Republican Party. Or, you know what? Something I really want to yell about is why The Real Housewives has 11 successful female ensemble shows, but there's not one female ensemble network sitcom right now. Not one. <sighs> or maybe I'll talk about chandeliers. You know, I've been trying to find one. I've got thoughts. If you liked this Glamorous Trash Talk, let me know. Send me a message, leave a review, make a comment. And if you did not like it, don't let me know. Trust from your silence. I'll get it. I'll get the picture, okay? Now, your next book episode drops soon. It's Paris Hilton's book coming out this week. As always, I'm on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. You can start a conversation there or on our Patreon or on our Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast.